And they all of a sudden saw Jesus for who he actually was. And they were undone. They fell on their faces before God. They had no idea how to respond because, because heaven invaded earth. And those guys, listen, I'll tell you, I don't know if you've ever experienced God in a way that literally that you then have a moment in history that defines your existence. That's what it was for these guys. All of a sudden, heaven is pulled back. The, really kind of the flesh of Jesus is pulled back and they see him in his godhood. Heaven had come. And these men, they sat there and, they, and, and all they could say is, should we build a tent and live here? Because we don't ever want to leave it. And so this morning, as we were in prayer before service started, this, God began to speak and said, so Steve, it's not about us coming and just having, having a moment together on Sunday. It's about engaging. It's about literally you expecting heaven to come, right? And what we mean in that is simply that God pulls back and he reveals himself. You have a what I would call a revelation moment, a, a moment that's bigger than you, a moment that's bigger than your problems, a moment that's, that's bigger than this world where we actually engage the living God who is active and moving. And I'm not trying to create some sort of hype or some sort of experience. That's not the goal. The goal is that when, when God pulls back flesh and we see him in the moment, Peter, James, and John were never the same. They were never the same because heaven invaded earth. They were undone. We read in Isaiah 6, Isaiah sees the Lord high and exalted, and he's undone. John, the revelator in the book of Revelation, has a a peel-back moment of God, and he's undone. And all I'm simply saying is this this morning as we sing this song, we're, it's kind of a holy setup, right? Makes sense. God's setting you up. He's putting his words of what he desires for us into your mouth. He's saying, heaven come and invade every part of my being so that I'm done, undone forever. Because let me tell you what you ultimately want without you actually knowing it is you want heaven to invade earth and wreck you forever for the things of his kingdom. Because when that happens, the world shifts. Because world problems don't look that big anymore because you know God's sovereign. He's in charge. We want God to come into that in every area. So when we sing this song, we're saying, Jesus, as much as we can handle without us dying, peel back heaven and change us for your purposes forever. So as we sing this song again, we sing the chorus. This is what we're praying. God, come and peel back. Invade this. Come with your fullness of your kingdom. We're simply, we're simply singing the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. It's all that we're singing. That's all that we're singing. So we sing this again. Recognize this is the heart of God. And ask him to come and do it in you and through you. You to exalt yourself in our midst. That you would raise yourself up, God. That you would let that you would allow heaven to come and invade us, to peel back. Because, God, when that happens, Lord, everything that weighs us down becomes unimportant. God, the things that seem large become small. The things that are overwhelming, God, just aren't that way anymore. Because you were present and you were near. You bring comfort to those, God, who are lacking it. God, for those who were who are, who are being um, pursued, God, with the spirit of death. God, you bring the spirit of life. You bring joy instead of mourning. 
God, you bring hope instead of hopelessness. God, you destroy fear. And you give us confidence. Father, this morning, may we be a people who live engaging you and allowing the things of this world simply to fade away. We may know you fully. Jesus, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Father, I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Steve, and I'm one of the pastors here. Excited that you are with us this morning. If you uh, if you remembered earlier to pass your baskets down, they went this way. If you could this time, just to pass them back down for an offering this morning. If you were a first-time guest, thank you. First-time guest, all we ask you to put in that basket is just your Connect card. and this showing that you were here this morning, and I will shoot you an email this week. Hey, just real quick before Nate gets down. This is Nate. Come up here. This is Nate's last Sunday with us. I paid them to do that. <laughs> No, but Nate took a job at his uh, home church, actually where his mom's still on staff, and maybe he'll be leading worship for one of their church plants over there. So before, uh, he, actually I'm going to pray for him right now, just cause, but I ask this, before he leaves today, just give him a word of encouragement. I know, how, how many of you have been blessed by his worship leaders as you've been here? Yeah. So, so let me pray for you real quick, and uh, he'll, be back up, he'll be back leading worship for our ministry time, but let me pray for him. Father, we uh, we love you, Jesus, and we thank you for Nate and just what he's meant to us over the last uh, really six months, I think. And Lord, just the way that he's led us, God, and the way that you've ministered to us through his uh, through the gift that you've given him. And Father, we pray now that as he goes, God, we just commission him back to this to this this church, God, he's been a part of since he was a kid. But God, maybe something fresh and new for him, Lord, that you would continue to anoint him, continue to bless him, God, and to grow him into the man and worshipers you have him to be, God. See, blessing over him as he goes. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you, Dave. All right. All right. Uh, a couple of things. Um, is Shelby in this service, too? She had to go. Okay. Yeah, Shelby Adcock, this is her last Sunday. We prayed for her at the 9 o'clock uh, while the youth were all still asleep. But she was, uh, she was a youth intern. She was a youth intern. Let me move this so you can see me, David. I know how you love to see my face, man. Um, the uh, no, she was served all all summer uh, in in vintage, serving both our youth and just everything at vintage in general. So uh, she's going back to Georgia Southern, and uh, if you are friends with her, or Facebook friends, just make sure you send her a note and saying thank you for being here. She was just an incredible gift to us uh, this summer. She'll be sorely missed, and we're hoping she will come back next summer. Right? We've already been talking to her about it. So anyway, be great. All right. Well, hey, listen. Uh, you know we. We, uh, if you were, if you've been at Vintage any period of time, uh, you may remember me talking to you about uh, my, the, my, like growing up and talking about school. My toughest subject growing up was simply school itself. Um, you know, it was one of those deals that you know I, 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 want, I, w- I would like to say that I'm very smart. I just never applied myself. One of those things, right? Because I just all I want to do is play. And, I, and I've said, I've said before that. You know, if all of my teachers could just somehow use an analogy of like Georgia football or fishing to describe like physics or something, I'd have done fantastic, right? Because like those are the things that I'm passionate about, right? And and so, but growing up, I always struggled. But it was interesting to me, if you know, I I, I was faithful and I was a faithful Christian, loved Jesus really all through my 
my uh, school experience. And, and it'd be interesting when we sit in classes and things that I thought I felt like really kind of connected to my faith or or things that kind of influenced that. That I would I would really tune in. Everything else I just fall asleep. Sorry, Dad, my dad's here today. I don't have to. But I would you know I literally I remember I fell asleep almost every day in class. But anyway, but I just don't ever do that. Youth, don't ever. That's terrible, right? But seriously, I remember. I remember, like, we had studying literature, like John Bunyan, Pilgrim's Progress. I remember reading that and going, oh, my gosh, this is a, this is a Jesus book, right? Sitting in class and, like, being challenged in that. I'll never forget, you know, um, you know we'd be going through history and just reading history, history stuff. And just the, there's so much of history that's defined by, by the church. And, you know, it's just amazing. There was no separation of church and state for a long time, right, in, in our world. So it's just a, a crazy thing just to see history. And, and I'll never forget specifically sitting in biology class. And sitting in biology, and there's a lot of stuff, but I'll never forget we began to study like the human body, and specifically like this that synergistic relationship that happened between all of the parts of our body, right? The, the mind, and how the mind kind of sends out these little impulses that makes your muscles move, makes your hands go up, right? But that my brain, I couldn't do this, right? My brain just told me to do this right here, right? And so just, this, 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 this incredible relationship of how the heart works, and it pumps in, and, but also sends out, and, and it can't go back and they have these little things in here that keep, I don't even understand, like all, these, all these words I just don't understand, right? But it's like if it was towards a football, I could have gotten it. It's like, the, it's like the offensive lineman blocking the blood flowing through or something, I don't know. But anyway, there's this whole thing going on, right? The body, and it's just amazing to, just to watch how the fingers work and all this kind of stuff. And, and so just amazed, just amazed and buzzing and going, oh my gosh. And, and to be honest, it's like I respect anyone's opinion, but I'm sitting here thinking, how could someone not believe in intelligent design and just believe this happened. You know what I'm saying? I'm not trying to make some sort of statement in this, right, towards you and condemn you if you don't believe in, in creation of, that God initiated. But, but I'm just simply saying for me personally, I'm sitting there in the moment going, oh, God, it just, it just it looks like you and it, and it smells like you. So it's got to be you doing that. It's amazing just sitting there and watching all this, how God had designed even the eyes and how intricate they are. I mean, all this stuff in women, I mean, childbirth, let's say, golly, right? So this whole dynamic going down, it's just amazing. Amazing to see this, how God designed as the ultimate artist, as the ultimate artist designing, I mean, designing this right here. No, seriously, designing the body, right? Just designing the body. You know what I'm getting at? Seriously, for all of us. But it's interesting that, you know, I say interesting, but, but, you know, when I look at you or when you look at me, let's be honest, you don't see anything on the inside of me, do you? Right? You don't, you don't see my, you're like, oh, I see your blood vessels, right? I see your heart pumping, right? You don't see any of that. All you see is the outside. Right. You see my you see my my physical body right now. You see my hands. Right. You see my head. You see my feet, and my legs. Right. When you are looking at me and looking at my body, although I'm, I'm this wonderfully and fearfully made by God, all you see is stuff on the outside. You see my outward body. And so when we begin to to talk about this, it means this. Your body is what people see when they see you. And it's like when you're, and, and I think we all understand this, right? That, that our body is the primary reference point in recognizing each other. Our body, what people see, it's the reference point for recognizing us. And here's a, just a, an analogy. If you're walking, walking through the grocery store and you're pushing the thing, going, boo, doo, 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 and you look down the aisle and you go, oh, I think I saw Barry, right? 
And so I go back and I look and I see his wonderful mug, right? And I see Barry's face. And I'm like, oh, there's Barry. Why? His his, I recognized him by his body, right? This is his face and what he looks like and those big old bulging muscles of his, right? You can't miss him. And so my prime, our primary reference point for each is, 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 in, is our body of recognizing one another, right? We see the face, we see whatever, we recognize people. So when I think about this, it becomes sobering. It becomes sobering when I read from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27, When Paul says, now you are the body of Christ. And each one of you who is a follower of Jesus is part of the body. You, Paul looks and says, the church, you now, you are the body of Christ. And each one of you is a part. Remember, we said the body is the part that we see. It's the part people look at to recognize who we are. Therefore, when we are the, we, we are what everyone in the world looks at to see if they can recognize and find Jesus. If the physical body is the reference point for recognizing someone, then if we are the body of Christ, we are what everyone in the world looks like as a reference point to see if they can recognize Jesus. So basically what I'm saying is every single one of you who are the body of Christ, you are who everyone looks at to recognize and to find Jesus. They're walking down the, the grocery cart of life and they look down the aisle and say, oh, is that Jesus? And they look at you. I don't know about you, but that scares the poo out of me. Seriously. I mean, that is overwhelming to me to recognize Paul saying you are the body of Christ. You are the you are the reference point for people recognizing Jesus. We are the body of Christ. And that is sobering. So. In John chapter 13, 34, and 35, Jesus speaks to this reality. He speaks to this reality, by, and, he, and he says, listen, you are my body. You are the reference point, and people are going to look at you to see if they can recognize me and find me. So here's a command I'm going to give you. It's a command I'm expecting you to fulfill. It's what I'm looking for you to do. If you will do this... If you will do this, then you will be a good representative and people will recognize you in me. And he says this, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men or all human beings will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. A disciple of Jesus is simply, simply someone who looks like, acts like him, and is an ambassador of his, a representative of his, right? So by all this, by loving one another, everyone will know who I am because of you. Now, to put this in context of the verse, because it's important to recognize what he's talking about, Jesus, just several verses before, has had the whole story about him serving the disciples by leaning down and washing their nasty feet. And so when Jesus says a new command, I give you love one another, as I have loved you, so you do the same. If you go back and put it in context of that, of what John's putting in context of, he's putting it in the context of 
those of us who are in the body of Christ serving sacrificially one another. I mean, let's just be honest. This type of sacrificial love is completely unnatural to us as human beings, isn't it? We, we by nature, don't like to kneel down and clean people's feet. How many of you have ever done a, seriously, raise your hand. How many of you ever done a foot washing service? Put your hands up high. How many of you are like, oh my gosh, I don't really want to do this? Be honest, put your hands up. Be God's looking at you, right? No, seriously. I mean, nobody likes to go do those things, you know, because there's something like icky about touching someone's dirty feet, right? Especially kids running around all day long, their feet smell, right? It's like, it's just, oh, and like, I mean, I remember sitting there sometimes, and it's like, I, my feet have been real sweaty, and they stunk. I'm like, I'm so embarrassed that someone's washing my feet, right? It's this whole dynamic, and Jesus is saying, actually, I know how unnatural it is, but it is my natural response. And if you're going to be my disciples, then you're going to have to do this. Because you're my body. You have to look like, act like, and sound like me because people are walking down the grocery aisle looking for me. And you're the body that they're looking for. So he goes on, then he, gives, he has the command over here, but then he has another the, the, the command again with the result. He says this in John 15, 12 through 14. My command is this love each other as I have loved you. And he says, No greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. So Jesus comes in and says, here's the command all over again. And I'm going to go ahead and now just kind of give you at least a foreshadowing because you don't fully get it yet. But the foreshadowing of what I'm talking about is this. I'm going to die for you later on, okay? I'm going to die for you later on. And that I want you to recognize. That's the expression of what I'm, what I'm talking about, of what your love should, be, should look like. You should be willing to sacrifice in a very unnatural way to the point even of death for the ones that you are around. Your brothers and sisters that you're in a synergistic relationship with in the body. Wow. Are you serious, Jesus? Because that seems pretty intense. I'm not real sure I really kind of get that. I mean, I get it in theory, but man, to practice that's really hard. He's like, I know, but it's a command that I'm giving you because you're my body and you have to represent me well so people can recognize me. And that is sobering. So the message is clear. The command, love one another. The result People will see the body of Jesus. Do this and people will find Jesus. They will know him. They will be drawn to us, ultimately being drawn to him. Meaning as we love one another, as we, as we love one another well, then we represent Jesus well. For we are his body. You see, we represent Jesus. I want you to hear this. We represent Jesus as we live in relationship, authentic relationship with one another in a sacrificial way that's unnatural to everything that we feel. And I would say this, and I think we'll see this in other scriptures, or other stories I'm going to read, that, and I want you to hear me very clearly, okay? I'm going to just pay attention. Wake up your neighbor, right? Wake up your husband. And, 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 and here's the thing. This is not talking about your family, as in like your immediate family. It is not enough to just hang out with your family and love your family and think you're fulfilling God's command. That's kind of a given. What Jesus is talking about here 
and we're going to look at this here in a second, it relates to every single person that you're in a relationship with, every brother and sister in Christ, but it also represents every single person out here who is very far from him, and it may literally be expressing a lifestyle that's the exact opposite of what you believe is holy and righteous. The expectation here of Jesus and the command that he's giving is to love one another. The one another is real clear to whoever that you're around every day of your life. We see this happening. We see this, this happening in the early church, right? We see in Acts chapter 2 uh, through 4, we see the church, what are they doing? They're like selling their possessions and giving them to the poor, right? They are taking those who don't have a home and bringing them in. They're bringing people to their house to have meals. And it says, it says they had the favor I love this. They had the favor of all of the people, except the religious people, right? But all the other people who were needy, all the people who didn't, who were struggling in life, they were like, what is going on with those people? They love one another so well. And when I walk by them, they love me so well. I'm undone by that. What is that? I'm walking, they're walking, I'm pushing the grocery cart saying, man, look at that Jesus guy who used to be here. He did all the same things, right? They're representing him well. Just after his death, his resurrection, they're empowered with the Holy Spirit. And now they're living this unnatural life of servanthood, not just living in the context of their own family, but the family of God, the people of God, really his creation. Much bigger than just their immediate family. And they're like, oh, it says people were being added to their number daily. Beautiful picture in the first part of Acts. But then we go down even, maybe you say this a little less than 100 years later in 125 A.D., there's this Christian philosopher by the name of Aristides, right? And he is writing, basically he's defending Christians. He's defending Christians to the Roman Emperor Hadrian, okay? Basically, Roman Emperor Hadrian didn't like Christians, okay? And so this Aristides, this philosopher says, well, hey, let me defend them. So he writes a letter to the, to the Roman Emperor. And he says this about Christians, writing about half of them. He says, they, Christians, walk in all humility, they walk in all humility and kindness, and falsehood is not found among them. They love one another. They despise not the widow, they grieve not the orphan. Whoever has, they distribute liberally, liberally to whoever has not. If they see a stranger, they bring him under their roof and rejoice over him as if he were their own brother. For they call themselves brothers, not after the flesh, but after the Spirit of God. When one of the poor passes away from the world and any of them see him, well, after being dead, then he provides for his burial according to his ability. And if they hear that any of their number is imprisoned or impressed, excuse me, oppressed for the name of their Messiah, all of them provide for his needs. And if it, and if it, if it is possible, they may be delivered. They may be delivered. They deliver him. And if there is among them a man that is poor and needy, and they have not an abundance of necessities, they fast two or three days. They may supply the needy with their necessary food. So I want you to recognize this is what Jesus was talking about. This is the expression of what he meant by serving others, of washing people's feet, of coming alongside. Now, we see this part, they're, they're caring for the orphan and the widow, right? It's beautiful, right? That when a, when a, when a brother has passed, rather than the lenders kind of die on the side of the street, they pick them up and give them a, a good Christian burial, right? If someone is literally imprisoned or imp- oppressed, they do whatever they can to either set them free or to provide for their family. And then one of the things that's just so crazy, I mean, I love this picture, is this. It says, if, if someone is, does not have an abundance, basically they have needs, right? They have real felt 
practical needs. It says they fast two or three days so they can supply for the needy. What I want you to see is this. Basically, those who are living in poverty, they don't have enough to care for other people. They have enough just to give themselves a meal for that day. So what this is saying is those who are already living in poverty and have just enough for today choose to fast for three days so they can give what they use for themselves to give it away to somebody else who is even more poor. Not talking about the wealthy, talking about the poverty, those in poverty helping those who are even more poor than they are. What a beautiful picture. I mean, if, the, if we all embrace this, do you think that everything would shift, at least in our community? I mean, my gosh, this is amazing. Being the church, being a good representative of Jesus. So when, 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 when Aristides and Hadrian looked at them, he's like, I hate them, but I can't deny that they're doing the right thing. Goes on a couple hundred years later, right? A couple hundred years later, you have the Roman Emperor Julian in 361 A.D., And he says this, he says, atheism, he's talking about Christianity, right? Atheism has been specially advanced through the loving service rendered to strangers and through their care of the burial of the dead. It is a scandal that there's not a single Jew who is a beggar and that the godless Galileans care not only for their own poor, but for ours also as well here in the Roman Empire, while those who belong to us look in vain for the help that we should render them. Hadrian, who, listen, Julian, excuse me, Julian, he hates Christians too. He's about 30 years after Constantine, who made Christianity the official religion of all the Roman Empire. And about 30 years later, he's like, I hate Constantine for doing that, and I hate Christians. But he looks at him and says, but I'm convicted, because they're doing all the right stuff. I look at them, and they're not just serving themselves but they're serving our poor also. Listen, not to make a political statement here, but let me just say this. The government couldn't take care of the people. And he's saying it himself. And he's looking and saying, but the church is doing a great job of it. If you want me to tell you very clearly, what's God's plan for caring for the poor in the nation of the world? It's Christians who step up and are Jesus representing him well. And so people recognize them by their actions expressed right here for the first 300 and something years of the early church. This, my friends, is a powerful statement in a sobering reality of what we are called to. It's not enough to, fit, to sit, sit in our nuclear family unit and just love on one another. That will never cut it. The call of God is clear. It's, he's saying, I want you to express this type of love. I want you to express this type of love in the context of deep and authentic relationships with the people sitting around you and the neighbor you've never met before. Don't you love that? It says they would see those who are in need, strangers walking by, and they would go and pluck them off the street, say, hey, and they would treat them like royalty in their own home. Love one another. The body of Christ. Listen, y'all, we are, we are made up of individuals who are in this synergistic relationship, right? We are the body, right? Just like our body right here is made up of all these working parts. 
synergistically working together. We are working together, loving one another. Let me tell you, evangelism is real easy in the context of this. I love you, and people go, wow, there's something going on right there in those guys. Looking in the eyes, that, that kind of looks like the Jesus that I've actually heard about, right? Right there, here you go, right? So you had this whole dynamic going of this love we're expressing to one another. Now, we are called by God. We are called by God in relationship with one another to be Jesus. Francis Schaeffer. Francis Schaeffer made this statement one time. He says, our relationship, our relationship with each other is the criterion the world uses to judge whether our message is truthful. I'll read that again. Our relationship with each other is the criterion the world uses to judge whether our message is truthful. I'll be honest. Listen, you understand this in a practical sense. If I'm not loving my Christian brother or sister well, guess what? People won't listen to me. People don't listen to mean people. Seriously. If you don't know that I love you, then you're not going to listen to me. It's going to be hard. But if you know I'm, I care about you, then you're actually going to listen to my message. Why do you think the worst of all sinners came and felt really comfortable with Jesus and hanging out with him when all the religious church people hated them? Because he, pre- he presented this authentic, powerful love and said, but go and sin no more. Let me just say this, pressing pause, not to get political again, but if Jesus were here, the homosexual community would love him. They would be drawn to him. They'd want to hang out with him. Do homosexuals like hanging out with you? Do they? They would love being with Jesus, the most ostracized of all the community during Jesus' day, the lepers and those who were those who were in prostitutes and whores and all these people who were the worst of the worst. Again, I'm just making a point to put it into our present day world. How well do we love? Are we expressing Jesus, our relationship with each other and the stranger on the street? It's the criterion the world is using to judge whether our message is truthful. We all understand at a very practical level. How many of you know somebody who stopped going to church because somebody in church was mean to them? I mean, my dad's here today. He would tell you the story of our family is that somewhere along the way in my high school career, we had a church split. And it was not too ugly, but never church splits ever great. And we lived in limbo as a family for a season. Why? Because church hurt us. Church burned us christian people making these selfish decisions or whatever thinking they were doing what was right but still it was difficult and church hurt we are called in the context of this right to love because i remember i meet people all the time especially in our culture men who've been burned and they say if i could go down the grocery aisle and find that body that actually looks like jesus i might just go there because i like jesus and hate christians we are called by God to love one another. This, this morning, the question is real simple. How well are we doing at being the body of Christ? 
I mean, honestly, this is a real and simple question. How well do you think? If you had like five, so I said, you know, on a scale of one to ten, write a number down. Ten being the best and one being the worst. How well, grade yourself, how well are you doing at loving one another and fulfilling Jesus' command? Someone may give you like a stuff like a nine. Good job. That's awesome. Right? But we have to begin to ask ourselves this question. Be honest with ourselves because we're called into authentic relationship and to love one another in a sacrificial way that seems unnatural and do it together in the synergistic relationship because we're the body of Christ and people every day are looking for a representative so they can recognize Jesus. And they look at the church and so often we are not doing a good job because we don't even love one another. So let me just, I'm going to say this, this is going to be a little bit painful, okay? But, and please hear me. When, the, when people look into the church and we look no different, when we're living in this place in our marriages where we're really living in a selfish place, say, I just can't do this anymore, I just don't love whatever, and we just all of a sudden separate, that does not speak volumes about the love of Jesus. When we're in relationship with one another here, and you get your feelings hurt, and you separate from somebody because someone said something that was mean to you, there's no love in that. When we sit here and we live selfishly because I want some sort of role, I want some sort of leadership, I want some whatever it may be, there's no love in that. What we're called to do is serve, we're called to be unnatural in our sacrifice, and we're called to give our lives away. What's our model? Well, Jesus told us in John 15, die. Die for one another. Die for one another. Listen, gosh, this is so weighty. I'm just sobering us to the reality that we are the body of Christ. And we are the body because we're in these authentic relationships with one another. And every day, listen, every day, people are looking right at you, seeing if they can find Jesus. They may not know that's what they're looking for, but we know it. By how well we are loving those around us. So, this morning, this morning, it's the beginning of sign-ups for our small groups. Our small groups, they have a number of purposes. Part of it's discipleship. Part of it is building community. But we want to say really clearly that one of the primary things we want to do is help you to, to get into relationships with other people. Why? Because we can't have community, we can't have relationships if we don't have relationships with people, right? And so we want to help you get into these relationships so you can begin to love one another, begin to express this, this sacrificial nature of loving and caring and serving one another. We want to do this, right? So we have these small groups for the, for the, for the avenue of building relationships so that God's command of loving one another can be expressed, so we can love it here and then we can then go express it into our community, right? Why? Because we are the body of Jesus. We are the people of Jesus and people are looking at us every day. The focus of our small groups this year is 1 Corinthians 13. We're all doing the exact same thing. Let me just go ahead and say this really clearly. If you've been a Christian for a really long time and you know everything, you're probably not going to learn anything new in this Bible, in, the, in this, this study we're going to do, okay? So we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 13. We're looking at the, the true expression of God's love as expressed in 1 Corinthians 13. But let me say this, and this is what I believe God's saying. 
God was in Paul was speaking to the church at Corinth in the first 12 verses. He basically talked about how hyper, how spiritual they were and how deep they were and how the gifts were flowing and how all these miracles were happening, all this kind of stuff. But he came in chapter 13. He says, listen, that's all great how deep you are and how much better you are than everybody else. But let me tell you something. You do not understand love. And therefore, you're wasting your time, my time, and God's time. If you're going to really see the the depth of God move, it happens in the context of loving relationships, unnaturally serving and loving one another, and giving your life away. And you're not doing a good job. And so what I would say is this, and I want you to hear me on this. God is not going to move in power through us. God's not going to move in power through us or do a supernatural work among us unless we are faithful to what he's already commanded us to do, which is to love well. God is not going to pour out revival on a people who are not ultimately engaging and loving one another well. And so what we want to do is press pause and say, God, we want to see all that. We want to see your kingdom come. We want to see, we want to see the miracles. We want to see the fruit of your spirit. We want to see all this stuff, God. We want to see you move. So we're going to press pause and just confess that we don't love well. And we're going to focus on this. And we're going to do it in the context of relationship. And we're going to work on this nature of being people who can look down the grocery aisle and say, Ah, oh, there's Jesus. Oh, there he is. My name's actually Steve. It's not Jesus. Okay, yes, but I saw something in you. I just recognized Jesus for a moment. That's what it looks like for you. That's the intention of our small group. So here's what I want to do to end our time. I'm simply going to read 1 Corinthians 13, the whole chapter to you. It's only like 13 verses. And as I read, if it helps you to close your eyes, I want you to hear. I want you to remember, I've said it a hundred times. Paul, this is a real letter written to real people with real emotions on both sides. Paul is going to use emphatic, deliberate language, black and white language, because he wants to make a very deliberate point. And I don't want you to miss it. So I want you to listen to all these definitive statements that Paul makes so it'll Maybe the, the, the sobering reality of what he's saying will hit us. Here we go. In verse 1, chapter 13, 1 Corinthians, you can read along, close your eyes, whatever you want to do. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal, which means it's really annoying. I have, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is, he goes on to describe it now. Love is patient. I want you to think of the church's relationship with the homosexual communities. I read through this, okay? Because it's the most pointed thing right now in our culture in this battle that we're in the world, right? Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes and it always perseveres. 
Love never fails. But hey, where there are prophecies, they will cease in time. And where there are tongues, they will be stilled. And where there is knowledge, it will pass away. But we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is, what, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now, we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then, then, when Jesus comes again, we shall see face to face. Now, in this moment, I know in part. Then, when he comes, I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And here it says, and now these three will remain. He, but he's about to name the things that are eternal and never pass away. And now these three things remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these, it is love. Father, as we sit in this moment, Lord, we just recognize, God, that we have a, we have a, a call to love well. But, God, we don't just have a call. We have an empowering reality from your spirit that gives us the ability to love as we read about in those first 361 years or 340-something years of the early church, God. They were empowered by your spirit, and as such, Lord, they were able to love well. And, Father, we sit in this moment, God, and we embrace the sobering reality, God, that we really, and you know it better than we do, we really stink at loving. We're just not really good. It's really unnatural for us. And you, you recognize that in us. You see it every day. So you have grace for that moment and compassion. But, Lord, we recognize, God, that we want to be good at it. God, we just say, God, we want to be able to love like Jesus loved. And so this morning, Lord, we're, we're simply asking as we have our time of ministry, as we need to leave today, that you would begin to stir this work, and this, this, this movement in us, that we would embrace loving one another well, and that we would live in a sacrificial, sacrificial way towards others. Father, we love you. Help us to love you even better. We pray this in your name. Amen. This morning, if you need to go, you're more than welcome to do that as soon as we get done. But if you'd like to say this morning, I would say this, a couple of things. When we have ministry teams that are available to pray for you, here's what I want to say to you. Several years ago, God spoke into my moments. One of those kind of like almost a man of transfiguration moment for me where God just really presented himself. And he spoke into, into the, like this heartfelt reality that I struggle with. He said, Steve, he said, he said, he said you can't love others well. Because you've never really received my love that well. And you can only give away something that you've received. And in that moment, God just began to speak about this reality that I had a hard time loving because I did not receive love well. I lived in condemnation. I lived in tension with God, whatever it may be. So what I want to say this morning is simply this. Some of you, to be able to give love, simply need someone to pray for you and say, God, help me this morning to receive love fully from you. So that once we do that, once it's peeled back, you go, oh, this is it. And then you can love well. This morning, communion, as it always is, is available right here in the corner. This is the breaking of Jesus' body. So that we, in turn, could then become the body of Jesus. This morning, as you come, just ask God to bring revelation this morning as you partake of the body and the, the blood of Jesus. That God would awaken something new inside of you about what that looks like. All right. Well, this morning.
Don't forget to sign up for small groups. This is the place that I'm going to ask that every single one of you get plugged in. They're going to be a lot of fun. They're going to be, um, you may not become best friends with everybody in your group. Our, our prayers, if you can at least meet somebody or you can at least practice loving people who are difficult to love, maybe, right? Seriously, this, you learn how to love well. Get in these, get, so sign up for a small group, get connected. We'll start in September. There'll be computers back there. Scott will teach you how to do it if you're not can't figure it out. Or you can go home, talk to your spouse, get on your own computer, go to vintage242.com, and you'll see it right there on the toolbar. You can just click on it and, and you can sign up. All right. With that, you guys have a great week. We love you. You respond as God leads, and we'll see you soon.